0: We're going to read the first 16 verses of James chapter 1 this morning. We will not be able to comment on all 16 verses, though I wish I could. Um, But we're going to read the first 16 verses and go as far as the Lord will allow us this morning in bringing forth some truths from His Word today. Book of James chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing." He shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren." Now, this is reading James chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. And I want to take a thought this morning in particular, or at least the title of our thought this morning can be found in verse 2, where it says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. The title of our message this morning is Finding Joy in Trials. Finding Joy in Trials. Now, I'll share with you this morning, uh, I was studying this scripture text probably um, uh, three weeks ago. And as I was reading down through here, the book of James is oftentimes called the Proverbs of the New Testament. It has all these bits of wisdom just sprinkled throughout. And as you read the book of Proverbs, uh, sometimes I struggle to read the book of Proverbs myself because it goes from topic to to topic very swiftly, and so, oftentimes, I, before I can comprehend what's going on, we're somewhere else when I'm still trying to take in the first thing that the proverb said. And often, James can be the same way. He covers different topics, and within each of those topics, there's a lot of wisdom. As I was reading this first chapter a few weeks ago, I began to notice that in the first few verses of this chapter, it begins to talk about temptations. It's as though the author James gets started really quick. He says, hello, be happy when you experience trials. I thought, whoa, that's getting going pretty fast. And then he revisits it in verse 12. And throughout this first chapter, he talks about this idea of trials. But amidst all these discussions on trials, it's like he interrupts his thought, or at least that's how I'd always read it. And I began to pray as I was reading this scripture, Lord, help me to see the connection here. What is going on? What is James trying to tell? Because he's revisiting this topic over and over. There must be some cohesion that all of this must flow together in some way. And I felt as though as I was studying that day a few weeks ago, it's like the Lord just started opening up the scripture and ministering to my heart and encouraging my heart. And I hope this morning, if God would help me, that he would help me to do to you what he did to me, because I found it very encouraging as I was reading about trials, what God is ultimately trying to do through our trials. And so you pray for me this morning that God would help me to to illustrate these different things. If we begin this morning in verse 2. Here's what it begins by saying, my brethren, count it all joy. All of it. Now I think that's really important and I cross-referenced this to make sure that he was saying what the King James says that he was saying. Listen to it in another version. Consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters. Now, we know what he's about to talk about is trials. And so he sets before us this, he frames our trials, but before he does, it's like before showing us this picture, he says, be joyful with what I'm about to show you. Now, I began to think this morning about what this concept of joy means, because when I read this scripture, my mind immediately goes to the book of Acts, and I begin to consider the story in Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas are arrested for preaching the gospel, and they're cast into jail, and there they're down, and they're rejoicing, and they're singing, and, they're, and there have been times throughout my life where I've experienced trials and hardship, and this text came to my mind, and everything within me, I did not have a song that I could sing. I did not have something as those in Psalm 137 where it said, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. And when they were prodding them to sing the songs of Zion, they couldn't, their tongues cleaved to the roof of of their mouth. They could not let out these outbursts of joy and singing for the sorrow they were experiencing in bondage. And here he says, Count it a joy when you're going to experience a variety of temptations. And I began to pray, Lord, I know from experience that there are times where I cannot sing and rejoice in the middle of trials. What does this mean? And as I was praying, the thought came to me from Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. If you turn back just a couple pages in your Bible, listen to this about Jesus. You remember in Hebrews chapter 11, whenever And this is is so pivotal in the context of what James is telling us. In Hebrews chapter 11, he begins to tell us of all these men and women who, who did what? Well, the first thing we want to say is they had faith. Well, hold on. What was before that? Trials. In order to exercise faith to the degree that Hebrews 11 outlines with all of these men and women, what is a prerequisite to demonstrating their faith was it not their trials Was it not hardships and difficulties of all various sorts? And yet the Bible puts forward this cloud of witnesses before us that we might look back to them with hope amidst our trials. And as he comes to the very end of Hebrews chapter 11, and he gets done with this long list, then he turns our minds and hearts to the greatest example of someone who has ever experienced a trial, and that man's name is Jesus. Jesus. And look at what he says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. That word despising also means disregarding the shame. So let's read it that way. Here Jesus is, and he is enduring this Ultimate trial of humanity. The sins of the world have been placed upon him. And here's what it tells us, that we need to look to him who will be the author of our faith, who will help originate our trust in God through these trials. And he says, why did he endure it? Or rather, how did he endure it? It says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding the shame of it. Oh, I think Jesus here is this wonderful example of a man who did not experience this euphoria of joy in the moment of the trial, did he? No, we find something quite to the contrary, that as he was beginning to be agonized in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, and as that uh, false ac- those false accusations were flung against him in his arrest and his beating, we know for a fact by the very words of Jesus that he suffered immensely going through all of that, and yet he endured the trial, not for the joy of the moment, but for the knowledge that, yes, I'm going to look to what is to come because there is. Joy in the morning. The joy was not now. The joy was set before him. It was in the future because he knew this. What I am going through right now is absolutely essential. You remember whenever Peter tried to rip it from his hands? Remember that? Remember when he told his disciples, "The Son of Man is going to go, and he's going to be in three. He's going to be crucified." And Peter said, no, 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 no. Jesus, not willing to be deprived of the joy set before him, embraced the cross and said, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things of God, but the things of men. You're thinking like a man. You're thinking carnally. You're wanting to get rid of my trials and my hardship and my pain but I want it. I'm going to cling to it. Why? Because there is joy coming. There is something worth waiting for. Listen, Christian friend today, I began to think as I was studying this about all the variety of issues going on in our church, you know, just problems in people's lives. Wow, there's a lot going on right now. And here, you notice... He says, when you fall into diverse temptations, a better rendering would have been various trials. I love the language of the King James, it says, fall into. Fell into it. Well, you fall into something, what? Accidentally. So it seems as though the nuance of the verse is not just saying trials as a result of your sin, but rather Trials which God has foreordained without your knowledge. You didn't know it was coming. And you fell into this trial. And he says, a diversity of trials. And as we look at the various maladies and trials of people within our congregation, they are as different and unique from one another as any people anywhere. There are physical trials that people are going through right now in our church both here or at home bedridden. There have been trials from the past, physical trials from the past that are still haunting and whose lingering effects are still before the eyes of our people today. There are relational trials, trials that happen amongst relationships with children and grandchildren, with a brother or with a sister, with a spouse, I begin to think about the relational trials that we experience. And one thing that I'm amazed about in marriage is how your marriage evolves over time because your trials evolve over time. The trials of a marriage are not stagnant. What you experience the first year or two of marriage, usually 40 years from now, you're not experiencing those same trials in marriage. And as time goes on and burden after burden is removed from your marriage and a new one is placed upon your marriage, what you find is man, we've come a long way. There's been a lot of hardship that we've experienced, and it's all so different. There are some relationship trials that we experience in this life that are crushing. Loss. We've experienced that in our church here lately, haven't we? Loss pain from losing somebody that we love that we'll never be able to speak to again and yet again those things don't just hit us fresh they revisit us someone who's gone for many years the sorrow can bubble up again very potently and we can in moments of nostalgia be gripped by the pain and that pain can morph into a trial that we have a hard time forgetting about and moving on from here the writer James tells us he puts all of these unique things I imagine if you could somehow um, create an object that illustrated each type of trial and you put them all out on a table you'd say those things have nothing to do nothing alike because that's the nature of trials. But it says as James picks up each of those objects of trials, he puts them into one bag. He holds them up and he says, when you experience these, count them all joy. Where is the joy found? We've already tried to indicate this morning, not necessarily in the moment you're going through it, but in the knowledge of what James is trying to tell us. We have to take great comfort knowing this. No trial falls upon our lives without God's ordaining. Right, we often think because the way our uh, our limited mind and perspective works, that as we trip and fall into a trial and it was completely unexpected and there we were, skipping along the path of life, everything going well, everything being okay and then all of a sudden, unbeknownst to us, there's a pit and we fall into it and it's completely messed up our day and our week and our year and we don't know how to get out of it and we don't know what's ahead of us. We don't know how long we're going to stay down there and all these thoughts are going through our minds and we think because it's such a sporadic interruption to what we've ever gone through, or, or perhaps we go through it periodically, whatever the case is, we think because it was unanticipated by us that somehow it could not be by design. No. We find joy in trials in the personal trials that we experience because we know with faith, with James is about to hit on in a moment, we know through faith, God has ordained these trials to be such. And what he is not satisfied with is the person that we are before the trial. He's not happy with the person we are before the trial. And he is trying to fashion us into a different man or a woman. And he knows that necessitates the trial. And so there we skip day after day after day. thinking Everything's going just, just jolly, just happy. And then the tumble begins, the cascading events that follow begin to go and go and go. And it's as though James, this wise old man, has the ability to zoom out and say, brothers and sisters, don't be caught in the emotions of the moment. Know in your hearts God is doing something. And he tells us such in the next two verses. Look at verses three and four. Knowing this, or you could say it this way, being assured of this, being confident of this truth, that the trying of your faith worketh patience but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing now again what i said at the very beginning of the message this morning is that james has these proverbial statements that stand alone as great pearls of wisdom but in the context of this not only does trials work patience and that's a good thing and we often repeat that to one another when we're going through hard times, but let's make sure we understand it within the broader context of what he's saying in these verses three and four. Yes, trials work patience, but patience is worked within us unto what end? See, that's only half the story that he tells us. He says, yes, trials work patience, but then he says patience, and he stands there to tell us a greater truth. Listen to what he says in the amplified version of it. And let patience have her perfect result and do a thorough work so that you may be mature and perfect and completely developed, lacking in nothing. You recognize this morning that God is allowing permitting and perhaps causing the trials of your faith that you might develop, that you might mature before him. That you would not lack anything. You know, there are days, and I'm sure you have felt this way, when the responsibilities of adulthood are overwhelming. And there are days when all of these things are coming at you And I've looked at my children before, or I've looked in my high school class before, and I've had the thought, if I could just go back to being them for one day. The carelessness. They don't think about anything, it seems like, except having fun and candy. That's it. And what a joy to be able to take off that burden and live so carefree for so long. But I can say this. I would only want it for a day. Because, yes, their trials are limited, right? They don't experience, most children don't experience the routine continuous weight of all the various trials that adults experience. But what else is limited? Everything. They can't accomplish what you and I can, can they? They can't have deep relationships like you and I can, can they? They can't help people like we can, can they? Everything about who they are, yes, the trials are limited, but you have to accept both components of who they are. They're limited in their trials, but they're limited in their ability to do much worthwhile for anybody else. Here, what God is concerned with with you is he wants to mature and build you up as grown spiritually as you can possibly be for two purposes. One, that you might experience with greater understanding the person of God, that he would reveal himself to you, that as we spoke this past week during revival, that your cup would grow, that God might fill it with himself more and more, and that you might be filled filled up with the knowledge of who he is. And there is great, the the further you mature in your Christian life, the more, the, the greater capacity you have to experience the great things of God's spirit. Until you have faced hardship, until you have faced trials, I don't believe you can fully know the extent of God's love and joy and peace and all these fruits of the spirit that the author in Galatians tells us about. We can't experience all those things to their fullest until we're grown up in him. You experience trials, not just to work patience, but that patience being a one component within a bigger picture might mature you. Because some experiences we can only have if we're patient. Right? I like guess one of the great downfalls of our society today is people want immediate gratification, so they get it. But immediate gratification is shallow. Immediate gratification feels good for a moment. I think very often, as I'm about to partake in sweets, this is going to feel good right now, but it's not going to feel good later. I often have the, the thought when I eat asparagus or Brussels sprouts or green beans, this isn't going to taste very good right now, but guess what later? I'm going to feel good. Very often, we have a society that's addicted, and we have a, a Christian world that doesn't want this slow, progressive maturation process that God has designed for the Christian life. It comes with hardship and trials because God is trying to do something long-term in you. And so let's go back to verse two in a moment. He says, count it a joy when you're going through these things because you know God is doing a work in you. I don't know about you, but it is an extremely humbling thing. When you look back in your life and you pick out the various trials you've gone through, which at one point you loathed and you hated and you were bitter about, and then you look back and you see God's changing of you and what he was working in your family and what he was working in your marriage— and what he was working in your children. And you look back, and you can give glory and praise to God and find joy in what he did. I often think of my children. You all know this about our third son, Landry. He has a heart condition, and I don't really think about it that often. Sometimes it bothers me a little bit. Sometimes it'll creep up, and, you know, moments of weak faith, and you just your mind kind of goes somewhere and you, you think these terrible thoughts. What if we lose him when he's five or six and the grief, you know, all these things begin to take off in your mind. And I, I commit to you this morning, I'm, I'm too weak to carry that burden. I can't carry that. I have to consciously give it over the Lord. But I've prayed to God that, Lord, whatever your will for him is, whatever it is, as excruciating and hard as it is, Help him to view his trial. And help me to view this trial of my son through the lens of faith. Because listen, this morning, I'm afraid that many Christians, they look at their life and all the hardships that they face, not through the lens of providence and faith. Thus, they wrestle with it their whole life. They they, they struggle with these deep feelings of emotion, they struggle with guilt, they struggle with all of these things that Satan plays with their mind because underneath the surface, they unintentionally view it as just random acts of of coincidence, things that I could have stopped or you could have stopped or could have been done preventatively. Rather than realizing God sees it through his lens, his permissive will, and he ordained it to be such. And the best thing to do is look at all of the things, the cascading events that happened in our life from that trial and hardship as God, I know you designed it. And so I am gonna actually, instead of being bitter about or being hesitant about those things that happen, I'm gonna joy in them. Because in your omniscience, you determined it was the best thing for me and all involved for our spiritual growth and maturity. You know, there are casualties involved in that. Don't you recognize today that there are casualties in spiritual maturity to yourself? You know, like you might experience financial hardship to spiritually grow. You might experience bodily dysfunction. I can't help but think of, a brother Reynolds sitting in the hospital today. A man who, how many maladies does he have? Too many to count. But is he not spiritually grown? Do you think this morning he may know things about God that, at least I can speak for myself? I don't, because through those maladies, it's always you know he was messing with me. I didn't intend to say that. he's messing with me today, and it's like heaven, It's like dying is no big deal. I mean, really, it's like dying is just no big deal. If, if God decides to take me, please do this and this and this and this. Spoke to him this morning. and It's just like death is just like, well, it's going to happen. And if it does now, well, if it doesn't. And I prayed as, uh, today, I thought, Lord, I want to get to the place when I'm old that death is no big deal. Why? Because that ultimate trial is framed from the lens of faith. It's seen differently. And so it's not this dreaded doom. It's this knowledge that God in his own providence has ordained it to be such. And whatever may happen, all the things that are left undone are all within God's purpose and plan. Here, what the writer James is telling us is that these trials are for our good And because we know they're ultimately meant for our good, try to find joy before you. You know, in in the Hebrew writer said despising the shame. We told you the word means disregarding the shame. I'll I'll put it a different way this morning. Disregarding the pain of the trial. What I'm amazed about is how, on one hand, I can be so level-headed talking about trials, objectively, behind a pulpit, telling you stories. I can be so unemotional, so composed. And then I can think back just a little while ago when I was in the middle of a trial. And the the emotions going all over the place. But I'm so thankful this morning, I believe James talks about that. It's like he anticipates Listen, I'm gonna speak and tell you to have joy in the trials and all, it all sounds flowery and good and you can get up and testify and praise God about it in church, but when you're in the midst of it and the emotions are flying all over the place and the thoughts are running wild and the anxiety or the discouragement begins to hit, it's as though everything you know to be true that God has established in your heart is rooted up and cast away and you don't know what to do. And so he tells us what to do in verse five. Look at this. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. All of that little text has to go together. I told you this morning there's pearls here. We can pull out the pearl and let it stand alone. But if we see it, I believe in its context, it's even more beautiful. We often quote the scripture, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask, and God gives it liberally. Oh, but the pearl shines even brighter when we see it within the context of what he's saying and when he's saying it. We're in the midst of a trial. You often hear, I've never been in the military. I'm thankful I've never had to go into the military. I respect and appreciate everyone who ever has. But even of the military, there's even a smaller portion of men and women who have been in combat. And I was reading our former Secretary of Defense's book, and he was talking about some failures that he was in charge of and things that he learned from his failures. And at one point, he said, it was the first time that I understood the phrase, the fog of war. You know, beforehand, when you're planning and preparing for every variable to happen and you're deciding what you're going to do, It seems clear and easy. You step in the midst of war and the matter of moments, in the matter of moments, all of these unexpected events can happen and it can be a series of disastrous things that leave you not knowing what to do and you're just in a fog. You don't know who to tell to do what because your plan is out the window. I imagine this morning, you of all, if you have any age, on you at all, you, you've been in the fog of pain and distress. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a planner. Oh, but how many times have my plans been thwarted by God's providential pit? And I don't know what to do. And so in the midst of this, this instruction about our trials, it's like he he foresees that in the midst of the trial, we're going to be grasping for knowing what to do. And so what does he say? If you lack wisdom in those moments, pray and God will give that to you liberally. Have you ever had an experience or have you ever heard anybody talk about an experience where they're in the midst of the fog of life and all of a sudden it just comes to them what to do? They just know exactly what to do. And they do it. And then in the aftermath, you recognize that saved somebody's life. That, had we not done this or this or this, the story would have turned out completely differently. I believe that's what he's talking about this morning in this, about trials. You recognize that the same spirit of God that brings us joy in the midst of trials can also in the fog of war bring us wisdom to know what to do beyond ourselves but he tells us this when you pray for that don't pray with the same spirit that you make a request to the doctor just crossing your fingers hoping it all works out he says don't do that but what does he say When you pray for God's deliverance amongst the trials and you're pleading with God for help and for wisdom to know how to face what is right before you, have a confident assurance, have a faith in God that he will give you exactly you know what to do. Have faith that God knows about your problems, that God will answer your problems and give you wisdom to walk through it. And a man who has faith, God will give it liberally, but he, t- he makes a strong point to tell us, but if you're coming for me, just hoping like all the pagans who would just uh, burn incense up to their gods and whisper prayers and write down prayers and put them in these, uh, these, these phony, silly little uh, rituals that they would do, recognize if you pray to God in that fashion in these moments of distress, you're not going to get an answer. He tells us, and I want to Begin to close this morning, but please, please hear this because this was such a help to me as I was reading it coming upon this. He said, a man who prays for God's help amidst trials, who prays for wisdom amidst trials, not believing that God is in control of it all, allowing if, that sometimes he chooses not to answer my prayers and that I ought to be glad when he doesn't, knowing that he knows more than I do. And that ultimately, I want your will to be done, Lord, not mine. That you will work what you're trying to accomplish, not what I hope can be accomplished. He says here, a man that lacks faith when he is praying for wisdom among trials is an unstable person. And he uses that analogy now, just by chance, a month ago, I was out on the ocean on a boat And the waves were tossed to and fro. Enough where you had to hold on and take a lot of Dramamine, right? That verse came to my mind as I was there. You can't do anything productive on a boat where the waves are four or five foot high. You can't. You make a lot of mistakes. Whenever the waves are tossed to and fro. Here he tells us, a person who lacks faith when they ask God for wisdom amidst trials is like a double-minded man. Unstable. You know, there was a word in the Greek I liked even more than the word unstable because it fits my personality perfectly. Restless in all of his ways. Restless in all of his ways. Here's, let me tell you how I imagine this going here. I'm going through a horrible trial in this moment. I fall into this pit. Maybe it has to do with sickness. Maybe it has to do with marital issues, children rebelling, whatever it is, but you're in the thick of it right at this moment. I mean, the pains of it, the confusion, the fog of war, it's all hitting you at this moment. You're having to make decisions that are well beyond your pay grade, and you're struggling. So the first thing God said is, listen, pray that God will give you wisdom. And believe that he will. And you know there are those moments. There are moments in time. Where I'm in the fog of those things. And I hit a moment where I really cling to God. And I'm I'm holding on tight. And in that moment I feel stable. And confident. But then as Peter steps out on that water. And more trials begin to build up. In that moment. I begin to look at the trial. And what happens? Again, this is the word that I felt like fit me. I become restless in all of my ways. I run in a moment, I trust God. And then guess what? The next moment when the new events happen, I don't trust God and I doubt. And my mind begins to run with every possible conclusion that could happen that's a bad one. And it's horrible, and it's awful, and, and then I get down and I pray again, and sometimes God helps me to cling back to faith, and I'm stable again, and I can feel God. And then I've got to make another decision, and, and I get overwhelmed, and, I, and I, it's as if I think God didn't know this was going to happen. He didn't anticipate this. And so I go, and I, I start doubting again, and my mind won't shut off. I'm restless constantly amidst these trials. I'm unstable. I'm restless in all of my ways. You know, here, here's what it said in one version, if I can find it here. Being a double-minded man, unstable and restless in all those ways, in everything he thinks, he feels, or decides. You ever felt that way? Oh, this this, this, this scripture, it's like I've never read it before in my whole life until just a few weeks ago. And it's as if James was looking at periods of my life and he could see the spiritual things going on inside of me and saying, let me describe, let me describe what Brad Hicks does whenever he's going through trials. I I, I, I told you I wish I could could do the whole chapter. I can't, I don't have time to do the whole chapter. I wanna give you two more things and I'm done this morning and I'll be brief. I wish I could get into why he begins to talk about the rich and the poor. I don't have time for that this morning. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. I think this is what this means. Don't quote me on this. I think this is what this means. You get to the other side of your trial. And you have maybe clumsily at one part, but for the most part, as you've endured this pit of a trial... You sought God with your heart. You saw this trial through the lens of faith, believing and knowing that God is doing this for my maturation and for the good of everybody around me. God has done it for the, and I fully believe it. I'm not doubting that. I'm looking through the lens of God's providence to view my life, and I am not letting my mind go anywhere else, and that God ordained this to be such. And yet, in the midst of all these things, I've gotta make decisions that are difficult. And rather than trusting on the confidence of a bunch of lost people, I'm going to put my confidence in God and what he speaks to my heart, maybe even using some of these people who don't know him, to give me the wisdom and discretion to know what to do. And I stand firmly, and I grasp God's wisdom, and I pray, and I know, God, I can't turn anywhere else but you amidst this trial. And you cling to him, and God, perhaps even unbeknownst to you, gives you wisdom to guide you and your family or your friends through this hard place. And now you've reached the other side of it. And for the most part, the effects of it are all done. He says this. Blessed is that person, joyful and happy is that person, for they will receive the crown of life. In other words, the victor's crown is the way it's put. What he's doing a reference to is the Olympics. He's talking about somebody who won. You won the crown. I don't necessarily think he's talking about heaven here. That's just my opinion. I think he's saying, blessed is the man when you go through all of that. You clung to the Lord. He gave you wisdom. You maintained your faith. Blessed is that person because God will give you the victory over your trial. That sounds good, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound a lot better than the restless waves and the emotions and decisions that just go up and down and up and down and you find no rest for your soul in the midst of it? And listen to this, a person who lives like that won't find rest after the trial either. Because they'll look back and they'll think of all the what-ifs. We can trust him this morning, folks. We can trust him fully with everything. And you get to the other side of it. Listen, I'm telling you this morning, this is the testimony of my life. Going through a period of my childhood, I did not understand at all. And to this day, Please hear me this morning. I can give God immense praise for allowing it all to happen the way it did, preferring it His way to what I had envisioned. I'm grateful this morning for those things because if that's the path that God wants and He helped me through it all and He's made me to who I am, more like Christ than what I would have been otherwise, praise God He cares enough to let me walk and shape me the way that he did. You can find joy in trials this morning. And then he, verse 16, I wish I could talk more. Verse 16, he says this, do not err, my beloved brethren. You know why I love that? Because it's as if, again, he anticipates. Our faith is gonna be weak. And we're going we're gonna to be tempted to doubt everything he's just spoken here. But he's saying, what I'm telling you is true. Trust me. Don't err. And he says that with such a paternal tone. My beloved brothers. Like a father, like a mother who loves their child. As if he understands fully why that our, our spirits would get so low. He says, it's okay. Don't err. This morning, my objective today, God, God, help me immensely with this scripture. Speak into my heart. Knowing the condition of the things going on here, I'll say this and I'm done. Some of you are going through trials that last a moment and some of you are going through trials that will last a lifetime. You know, talking to somebody this week who had a son who was mentally handicapped for 60 years, 55 years. Oh, listen, friend, you don't get over that that trial in a couple weeks or in a month or a year. That's gonna be an evolving trial for years and years and years and years. And yet, God's sufficient grace and purpose is found in the moment or in the lifelong struggle of his fashioning us I pray this morning that God would increase your faith amidst the trial to trust him I feel this, I feel strongly this way some people never get over their hardships because they refuse to view it as God's will in their life they won't they won't allow, allow it to be God's. Wanted this to happen for my good. They continuously want to go back and ascribe all these carnal reasons and happenings and possibilities. And they're restless forever. I pray this morning God would give us the the proper perspective as we walk through the various trials that is in our church. I hope God will open this text up to you the way he did me and give you encouragement as you walk through it. Stability as you walk through it. Faith as you walk through it. Wisdom as you walk through your trials. Because all of those things you need a lot more than control of it yourself. That's our message this morning. I pray that God would lodge it in your hearts as we said the way he has it mine. I thank I thank some of you who I've had conversations with lately that helped God to open these things up to my heart and apply them to my heart. Some of the conversations I've had with many of you has helped me to put these things in their proper place and for God to minister to my heart. And I am thankful for how he uses us in that way. And I thank you for that. Somebody have a word or a testimony on your heart this morning, something you feel compelled to share or anything at all today?